Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Matt Penner. Matt, welcome to the show. Cool. Thanks, David. Uh, So for people who are just meeting you for the first time, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. My name is Matt, or Penner, when there's other Matts around. I've been in software since, I don't know, late 90s. It's been a fun and creative outlet for me. It's been a backdoor into a variety of different industries and bizarre spaces. Cool. Yeah, you've definitely had uh, a lot of varied creative projects. And uh, where, where are you working now? Yeah, currently I freelance for an artist here in Brooklyn who does uh, light art and sculptures and various collector pieces. I also work as a chaos engineer for Amazon, kind of their retail site, keeping uh, things running and moving smoothly. Nice. Um, so, yeah, tell us a little bit about about that path because you know that the chaos engineering sounds pretty serious, and the uh, you know light sculpture uh, sounds. Um, you know, a little less serious, honestly. Uh, so how how do all of those things come together for you? Yeah, I'd say there was an interesting intersection where the lines kind of got crossed, and they've probably even flipped in the opposite direction since then. But let's just rewind, I don't know, to uh, a mobile app company deep in the back end, keeping you know users happy and Java systems passing messages around. At that point, I'm staring at a stack trace that's probably you know, longer than my arm and equally obscure, and just realizing I honestly had no idea how any of this stuff worked. And there's so many layers of libraries and frameworks and then more libraries. And that's when I really started getting into kind of like lower level programming and started doing, you know, like more just basic C and C++ for fun and you know, started doing hardware. And, you know, this is kind of the beginning of the maker movement. So really just started, you know, embracing kind of like the low level code where I actually understood, you know, what bits are doing mm-hmm. and, you know, like how adding them together might make a difference. So kind of find that found that intellectual exercise like super fun. And eventually that kind of took over and became, you know, another full-time job and kind of a second career. And so I don't know, I think fortunately in this, uh, this day and age where we're able to have at least two or three careers in a lifetime. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's kind of what led into, you know, ultimately like light programming and sculpture and, you know, doing kind of art, art tech for, for artists. And, and then, um, I don't know, since then I've actually kind of like flipped around the other way and started doing more basically like high level programming and interface development for artists and doing more low level programming and performance optimization for mm. I don't know, big, big yeah. server stacks again. So that's funny. it's kind of funny how it's sort of like that pendulum swings, uh, swings both ways. So you talked about the, the maker movement. Um, and, and I know, of course, you were heavily involved with uh, Crash Space. You want to talk a little bit about what that was like, getting that going? Yeah, Crash Space, for me, started around a mailing list. And it was there was no location yet. It was just people kind of talking on a forum. I think it came out of a machine project, sort of a tech art space in in LA, probably Echo Park somewhere. Oh wow, I haven't thought about that in uh, in a while. I think yeah. I actually gave a talk at that a long, long time ago. Yeah, I mean, there was great sort of community building around that. And I don't know. I think sort of community around technology has been you know, sort of a reoccurring theme in my uh, 
in my journey and I, don't know, I learned really well in groups and mm-hmm. I love sort of collaborative learning environments like that and the community that, that forms around open source projects, you know, just sort of sharing what we know with each other. So yeah, the project that was talked about on the, on this list was a, a proximity sensing t-shirt and in sort of true, I don't know, geek form or in true crash space form, you know, one of the meetings we had maybe 30 people show up to dinner and, you know, splitting the check was a nightmare, but <laughs> the, uh, the Overland Cafe was generous enough to uh, let us stay afterwards. And, and, and by the end of it, we had, you know, as many designs and requirements and, you know, ideas for how to implement a proximity sensing t-shirt as we had people in the room. You know, I think Eric Gradman showed up with something that was already working based on, you know, sort of an XB and a blinking LED. And that was sort of good hmm. enough. You know, somebody else had a t-shirt, but no lights. And, and ultimately the project never really came to fruition because everybody sort of had a different idea of what this needed to be for them and their particular mm-hmm. needs or what would be what would be fun. But what did come out of it was the idea that like, hey, getting together, talking about projects was uh, was a blast and, you know, great for everyone. So, you know, the, the space came out of it, but the, uh, the t-shirt is still a, a pipe dream. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I think I, I believe in it. I think that I think there's still hope for the T-shirt. Yeah, there is. I think it reboots every every few years. But yeah, so I'm um, so I don't know. Crash Base is kind of uh, just past their 10th anniversary now. It's a uh, it's a space in Culver City, uh, Venice, and Overland intersection. It's a, it's a shared workshop where you know, we get together and work on projects together and do different uh, community outreach, a lot of education. You know, now it's kind of worldwide. Mm-hmm. Have you have you seen like through you know through um, through Crash Space? Have you seen people come in very inexperienced and uh, have watched them over you know throughout those ten years become more advanced and more capable? Like, have you seen any patterns with that? Yeah, funny you should mention it. There's definitely a trend where i mean i almost call it a disease where people show up and they ultimately realize that like what they're doing with their life is not their like chosen path and somehow it gives them the confidence to boot up a new career or start freelancing or you know start something else so there's definitely been a lot of that where um, people make dramatic shifts or create new new opportunities for themselves just by being exposed to such a variety of you know, ideas or usages of technology. And I mean, I actually hired a few people out of there that started off in, you know, QA or analytics and have since become, you know, their own sort of full-fledged uh, software engineers, and, you know, managers within other, other startup teams. You know, other companies have started out of there now doing everything from, you know, security to, uh, you know, consulting. So that's really interesting. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about, about that. Like what, what caught your eye, you know, what, what made you want to hire somebody, you know, like that in, in that environment? Yeah. I mean, technology is sort of an interesting space and it's always kind of growing pretty aggressively, particularly in like the startup circles. So like small company, you're always having a hard time hiring people, you know, constantly looking for the right people. Sometimes they don't even show up to the, uh, to the interviews because mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like, it's pretty hot labor market there. And I don't know that I think that presents some challenges for, you know, the types of tracks. But it's also a great advantage if you're at a company that you really love because you have opportunities that you can present your friends. Mm-hmm. So I mean ultimately it came from just the selfish need of, you know, one of my uh, better friends at the crash base had to leave at like, you know, like me- as soon as the meeting was over at nine o'clock because they had to get mm-hmm. up at five AM to go work at Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And so selfishly 
I'm like, well, this is crap. I want you to hang out and be more present and available to do other fun stuff. So come, you know, interview with us and then you can have a job with normal hours and we can, you know, extend our friendship. And then, I mean, that's actually happened a couple of times. In fact, where you know, I've been able to like, you know, people that can't, you know, can't go hang out all the time or, you know, can't go to the movies because they're, uh, you know, they're lacking the funds or lacking the time. Mm-hmm. If, you can, if you get them into your uh, your tech company, then you know suddenly have more uh, more opportunity to uh, to be present. Unfortunately, so yeah, I, I think um, I, I, what I find interesting about this is 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 I imagine there are people out there who who have a hard time believing that you can you know, and I think there's a little bit more to this that maybe you can speak to, but probably have a hard time believing that you can get a job just because you're likable and somebody wants to like hang out with you and doesn't really and I think part of it too is also that you know you just thought that like they they deserved better than whatever job that they they had you saw you saw more in them right yeah I mean certainly having some technical aptitude and you know knowing the the internet and being able to you know like navigate around your own personal computer is is a huge step up and yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much this has changed, but I mean, at the time, it was a sort of a, you know an app company doing you know a free a free product, and so we had a pretty large QA team, and so that's always been a great you know way to get people mm. in the front door, and you know I, I hope those entry level positions still exist in everybody's companies, and there's a way to scale up ultimately from you know QA into other roles. But I mean, that's always been, I think, a great a great path for uh, for anybody that just needs you know, an, ex- an extra buck and some some hours here and there. So it's always been a way that, like, people I know get into the games industry, for example. You know, mm-hmm. started start as a tester, and then even mm-hmm. if you even if you know software, oftentimes that's just kind of where you get wet, get your feet wet. And yeah, so much. I mean, you mentioned communication. I think so much of software is built in teams, and it's way more about people than computers. And so being able to, you know, work through a group project with people, even if it's, you know, not technical at all, is a huge, huge skill to have. Just be able to deal with those interpersonal relationships and, you know, trade off of concerns, you know, and like, you know, how are we doing this? Why are we doing this? You know, being able to kind of speak to the different needs of, you know, a particular project, I think goes a really long way in in, in a software team. Yeah. um, So it's almost like having you know, being in that community environment and having projects that you can work on together. I mean, that 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 kind of reduce a lot of the the variability or the risk, like, you know, for somebody who's who's looking to hire, um, you know, because you you already have a good sense that they, you know, they're 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 fine in that environment. You know, there's so many ways that it can go wrong, go wrong. And by seeing them operate uh, in something that that you know even if it's not like you said like overly technical like not software um you know you can see how they operate and and it can make you a lot more certain that they'd be fine in a in a you know more professional environment like in on on one of your teams um do you like like thinking thinking about today right like what are the opportunities to to kind of get that exposure and and meet people and work on projects like is it is it still crash space like are there other things is it is it totally different now and you're not sure like yeah what what would be the analog today yeah that's a super interesting question 
Let me think for a minute. I mean, today is kind of a strange day because we're, you know, a year into lockdown and haven't, <laughs> haven't met anybody face to face for yeah. <laughs> 13 months. So I would have to say today it's, you know, it's online, it's in VR, it's in all of the various hangouts. And I think the, the biggest group projects I've been a part of within the last year have been like building out virtual spaces with them. Mm-hmm. And so that's way more of like, using tools and uh, or software tools or online tools, modeling, Photoshop, Unity, these kinds of things. So it's perhaps a little bit slanted towards technology. This is kind of a, a strange day where the, uh, the tech artists rule supreme because everything's on the internet. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there's sort of a, a creative revival coming, coming back out of, um, out of post-COVID life where all these, all these seeds of creativity that have been planted, you know, all around and now dispersed through the new online communities are now going to grow in, in their own local spaces, and bringing, bringing new life to, uh, to cities. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I mean, even something as simple as like being in a, you know, a four piece rock band, I think can bring a lot of skills to the table and to the front of, you know, you're having to set up a production system and it's having to run on time, like every mm-hmm. night and you're plugging in guitar pedals and you're, you know, interfacing with the front of house and you're, you know, you're like on time and you're out of there. You know, it's like, it has a lot of the same trappings as, right. you know, a quick and dirty software project. So I think there are those opportunities to kind of like get exposure to, you know, group projects with, you know, real deadlines and, and those kinds of things. So I would say, you know, it's kind of like through, through art and performance, you can be kind of building a lot of the things. I think kind of like networking that into, you know, a job, like maybe it's, it's not, you know, like a, a well-trodden path, but yeah, I think I mean, it's I think worth it's, asking and, you know, right. going to those meetups. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that I think if you like, if you think about it so, so targeted, like, okay, I'm doing this because I want to get a job. Um, I think there's just way too much room for disappointment. Um, but I think it winds up also just being this theme of people who I respect a ton having really like having these these relationships with their careers that that become so intertwined with those types of communities. And, and I see how many people get jobs through them that that like I can't help but recommend using that um to you know to your advantage and and part of it is is maybe just this like you increase the the surface area of like good things to to happen to you um the more people that you're meeting the more people who can see what you're capable of can get a sense of your character and how you know your conscientiousness and respecting deadlines and good you know you're not causing drama and you're not being toxic and all of these giving all of these opportunities for for seeing how good you are even if it's not like like you know straight up coding um counts for counts for a ton and then you know the like the likability part too like people like being around you they're gonna find more ways to to be around you um and so yeah it's it's really tough to say like this is how you get a job and so like go be part of communities and meet people and like constantly ask people for jobs like no that's not it's not quite how it works but it's more like the more people you're around and the more people who can see what you're capable of 
the more jobs are going to naturally be available to you. Like, would you say that's fair? I think that's totally fair. I mean, I, and I think there's just, there's so many paths that everybody takes. I don't think I've ever had like a traditional, you know, route to <laughs> to getting in any one company, regardless of how targeted it was. Um, I, mean, I've, I mean, I've even seen people like with a great deal of success through, you know, through just uh, going through a four-year program or going through a good boot camp, And, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately like having, having those extracurricular activities, I think helps a lot with the references and, you know, helps with just having somebody to kind of even help you get your interview prep off the ground or, you know, getting getting your foot in the door so totally can you can you share maybe like a story or two of, of maybe like how you came into any of the uh off the uh the beaten uh path non-traditional um fun things that you've worked on um yeah sure yeah i'm sort of just enumerating all of the various uh jobs in my uh <laughs> in my mind i think the uh I think the first time, like, I don't know, even fresh out of college, I was working at a movie theater and a bar and probably a pizza shop all at the same time. And, you know, it started with an internship, like getting, mm-hmm. getting sort of underpaid. And, and then, yeah, I mean, it ended up being kind of a horrible job, not because of the people, but because just sort of the work I was doing. Like it was, mm. a, it was like a retail workflow company and mm-hmm. I was, I guess I was probably just too young to know better, but, you know, eventually I realized that we're writing software to manage people and I'm learning way more about what a, like a regional manager at Sears does walking the floor and deciding who to fire than I ever wanted to know. (laughs) Okay. So, and then it was just kind of like literally, uh, you know, a friend of a previous CEO just calls me out of the blue and it's like, Hey, I'm, you know, starting a company in Los Angeles. Like I heard, heard you were looking and I, I had, I had done my job search at that point immediately out of college, like six months prior, you know, kind of cast mm-hmm. the wide net, sent my resume to, you know, friends and family and uncles and, you know, just like whoever would listen and just like nothing was really happening. So I just kind of kept doing this internship. And so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the story is just like how these, these seeds you plant come to fruition, like really long time later. And sometimes these job search really take that level of patience where, you know, like just, you know, my name was kind of on their list. And so, yeah, I got a call. I got a call. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. Ultimately, like, I think it was snowing sheets in Colorado and I'd like locked myself out of my car while it was running. And, uh, like the fire department pulled up and like let me in my car and I like sold my car the next day and like went to L.A. So <laughs> right on. Um, what about something like, you know, you you had a lot of, you know, these kind of one off projects like I know, you know, uh, like t- like you've worked with like touch designer and a lot of these like large um you know like particle physics based things like how how did those come about yeah i mean those came out sort of through the through the performance i was doing a lot of like devices and wearable technology and sensor networks for for intel at the time mm-hmm. and part of sort of showcasing that technology, these small devices in, you know, in like a tech concert or a, or a keynote presentation involved having like a big show. And so I ended up hiring a bunch of friends to kind of set up the, the visuals and the music and kind of run like a proper kind of what they call a backline system. 
Mm-hmm. And so in just being kind of on the, you know, the sort of the sending end of that data path. So I was basically, you know, like writing firmware on devices and like maybe making some circuit boards, sending data wirelessly over to, you know, the network, kind of doing the operations there, but then ultimately interfacing with your touch designer and your Ableton Live to kind of keep the show running and send, you know, sort of like data in this so that could like the show could react to that. So kind of just learning both halves of the interface. So I just ended up getting enough kind of fluency through being able to work with like really good experts at those systems that eventually, you know, when I found out that somebody was like kind of experimenting with touch designer on the side and they needed some extra help, I was more than happy to kind of like work for them for ultimately for free for a few months. So Mm -hmm. I guess that's kind of the story is it was like, well, I was, I was, I knew I had a mentor in the space and I knew it was going to be hard but I was willing to do it for free. And I think a lot of the freelance work that I've gotten has been on that, like you end up doing about a third of the work just to get the job. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you know, you're sort of self-training because you realize like maybe you're not the best person for this job, but you just want it bad enough. And so mm-hmm. after you know, kind of just showing up with a demo that, you know, nobody asked for, and nobody paid for there, you, you end up getting your foot in the door and then, you know, and then you start getting some notes. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of, almost a, a conversation about, you know, like agile software methodology of just like get something in front of your customer. Yeah. A lot of times we talk about that as an internal customer, but it also works if you know somebody has a need for some software and you could show up with, you know, something that's 10% working and they start like giving you notes, then you know that you've already got, <laughs> like you've already got the job. Like if you yeah, show up totally. you know, on day one as if, you know, you already worked there and you're like, oh, so I got this working. What do you think? You know, and they're like, oh, what if it did this? What if it did that? What if it did this? You, know, you show up a month later mm-hmm. with a couple of new features, then you know, it's just, uh, it's just up to you. So, I mean, that was, that was a pretty ballsy move. And uh, luckily I had, you know, the time to kind of work with, with that software and, you know, some people that were pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was probably about five years ago. And so now, you know, we're sort of maintaining multiple systems for them and, you know, have like our own own sort of code base and have a couple other developers that are consulting doing, you know, C++ modules for it and you know, sort of the, uh, the other sort of like plugin system. That's cool. So what made you want it badly enough to, you know, work for free, so to speak? I mean, I had a lot of respect for, for the artist and the work they were doing. And I knew that this was kind of a stretch for their studio. And so mm-hmm. I saw this as an opportunity to kind of like inject new knowledge and new technology and kind of like a new generation of, you know, sort of skills and and tools into the studio to kind of like take them to the next level. And I mean, ultimately, my goal was to kind of like bring in this demo and then train, you know, one by one other people in the studio, you know, how to use it and to become fluent with the software. And, you know, a lot of a lot of folks there are really taking to it. Mm-hmm. It certainly took a lot longer than I wanted to. But just kind of seeing that, you know, this artist was right on the edge of like having, you know, too many pixels for a microcontroller and wanting to use GPUs. And and I mean, I don't know. I mean, like I, I got a physics degree in university, so I really just wanted to like lean into that a little bit. And I just had a ton of fun playing around with acceleration and forces and drag all over again and trying to like really just like play around with some of the, the low level math of these particle systems. So for me, it was kind of like getting, you know, getting paid to noodle and mm. you know, getting paid to learn. So, yeah, no, I like that a lot. I mean, part of, part of the reason why I really wanted to have you on this show is that you straddle you 
you're able to almost like straddle these worlds of doing like very serious cloud, you know, machine learning uh, stuff for companies like Intel on on one side, but then also these fantastical, like ultra cool, like visual art and music, um, you know, almost like performance tile installations that, uh, you know, they're just like wildly creative and much more fun. Um, you know, that, that I can I can just see so many more people being like, wait, no, I want to do that. Um, and you're kind of able to do both. And so just hearing how you how you think about these things and how you kind of approach and wind up, uh, you know, winding up getting in the door in these different places, I think, you know, a lot of the listeners uh, would be curious to hear. I know personally for me, you know, I've got some of the same, I think I've got some of the same stories, though not quite to the same extent, I think that that you've developed. Um, you know, I did a, you know, a sound reactive uh, algorithm thing that wound up, you know, I performed live with Yoyama, what seems like a lifetime ago. Oh, and man, that's epic. <laughs> uh, you know, and then there was like countless projects. You've already mentioned his name, Eric Gradman. You know, we, you know, we had, um, you know, these, these like tech art collectives uh, that would be a part of together. You know, the first one would have been Mindshare Labs and then Sin Labs. And of course, uh, you know, a lot of those people went on to do 2-Bit Circus, um, where, where you know, that's his company now. Um, and, and so for me, like these experiences are so valuable to me. And they, I feel like so much of how I approach problems and, you know, to use a cliche phrase, like think outside the box, um, you know, I can kind of trace that training to a lot of those projects. And then on the other hand, you know, I've got a lot of more, you know, serious type projects as well, you know, creating ad servers that serve 10 billion requests a day with real time analytics and all that fun stuff, you know, that very not creative, hardcore back end, you know, no one's going to find one of those things like visually engaging or, you know, want to put it on the stage. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think like, how do you like, how do you think about that? Like, how do you choose how much of your time to be pursuing one or the other? Or are they really not that different in your mind? Yeah, the choice is always hard. And they're not that different. I think, I don't know, at the end of the day, like, I think software is just not that useful for its own sake. Mm -hmm. And there can be a lot of, I don't know, just like ego and confusion and, you know, it can seem so f such a foreign language. But I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's like it's math and it's data shuffling. And you know, these, I think you can abstract these systems down to, you know, like carrying information from, you know, one server to another or from one user to another or like in the mix and so I, you know at one level it, it does all start to like really look the same i think how you choose to use that career is probably i don't know i would say like probably one of the more important conversations you should have with yourself as you're developing your career as you're sticking around a company because i think you have a lot of power and probably a lot more than you know and and you know the, the people you're working for and the 
people that you're solving problems for and the people you're working with like are hugely impacted by the way the time that you're putting in and so i think just by having you know this little bit of tech fluency and having the you know the vocabulary and the way with technology and you know just kind of the bravery to try to understand things on on that deeper level like you really have like a a skeleton key to the back door of any industry you want and so you're really limited almost by your, you know, your creativity and your drive. And so like, if you like, I mean, you know, you have, you have to get good and you have to like comb the job descriptions, but you know, if you, if you kind of know what you want and sort of stay on top of that industry, like it's, it's a, it's a lateral shift and, you know, you can, you can probably sneak your way into like any company and in any, any industry you want, like mm-hmm. in learning, you know, the software of, a, you know, of a finance system, you learn a lot about finance and then you can mm-hmm. use that finance knowledge to go to any finance company. Or, you know, if you've learned the right. software of, you know, pixels and video, like you can go to any video company. And so it's like, it's kind of a, like a two-way backdoor in a way. You can do these lateral shifts where you go from one domain of knowledge to another, but then you can also take that to learn the technology of that domain. And then that technology can take you into a new industry. And so I think mm-hmm. most of my transformations have been along those lines where you know like i kind of see the through line of well i need to know a little bit more about you know this cloud thing and so you know i'm going to invest pretty heavily in that for you know half my time but then the other half the time i'm going to be doing pushing a lot of pixels around and you know trying to manage you know particles on gps efficiently and so it is two very different you know ways of thinking about it but I guess I always kind of have the one thing that I suck at that I kind of want. And then the other thing <laughs> that is like sort of paying the bills and I'm like kind of doing it like because I have to. And, you know, sometimes one dries up or the thing that's fun becomes a job and then, you know, you start to hate it and you start to do something else. And so I guess I see it as always kind of this like thinking one or two steps ahead and really mm-hmm. having that through line. And then, you know, kind of like you got to invest where you're at, but definitely have you know, something else you're learning for yourself. And I guess that's kind of where the work is, is just carving off a little bit. And I don't know, I mean, like kind of where I started this anecdote is like, you know, I wasn't able to do like big system, you know, like Java messaging systems for fun because I was doing it for my day job. Mm-hmm. But I was able to do like really low level programming for fun because it was not my day job. And so I think mm-hmm. there are kinds of like, I don't get burned out if I'm doing like radically different types of technology. And so... That's kind of where, like, when I'm doing one for for work, I'm doing the other one for fun, and then sometimes they just kind of switch for a while, for an afternoon. Yeah. So what's like what's an example of what, like a project that you've worked on in your own time with friends recently? Yeah, I think the most recent thing to date has been the uh, the Burning Man Festival went online in August, and there was a a cry for help of you know can we somehow represent our camp. And so that really came together and that was like a huge lift of skill set. But what made it so, I don't know, enriching is that you also had this huge community coalescing around that similar problem that were all equally like beginners. Mm. I knew like a little bit of Unity and a little bit of Blender and a little bit of Photoshop, (laughs) but it was cool because it was like, oh, now we have this, you know, this bunch of people from a bunch of different camps, like I think it ended up in the order of, you know, like hundreds of little teams, all basically facing the exact same problem of like, oh, how do I make a little space in this virtual world that my 
you know, my campmates, my team can go and hang out and have fun. And that sort of looks like what it's supposed to. And I mean, it, it, I mean, it came from a place of just wanting to like recreate a, a really small, basically like speakeasy for a friend of ours that you know had been really good to us the year prior. And so mm-hmm. it was kind of in, the, in that mix where there was about, you know, two of us that were pretty committed. And then we were sort of like training other people up on, you know, how to do the Photoshop and how to build some assets. You know, and I might've been managing the Unity project for a while. But then we also had this whole, you know, like, you know, Discord online where you can like reach out to other people who are building out you know, little like interactive objects in the world. So you can like hook up a server to your, you know, to your space and kind of do some things. And we also had some people doing live programming. And so it ended up being like a, you know, huge coordination effort in like a lot of different technologies mm-hmm. because there were so many people kind of doing it at once. It was like, everybody felt like a beginner. It was just like a really nurturing sort of environment. So it made it really like... At first, I said no, and I was like, didn't have anything to do with it. It sounded like <laughs> why? Like, why? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, um, because it was just like I didn't think I had enough time to do a good job. Got it. Like, it was literally okay. like two weeks before, and it was just like, oh man, this is going to be crazy. But this is like, there's no way I have time to do this, and you know. But then, like sitting in on somebody's like live stream of like, hey, I built all these assets that you can just use, like. Here's an RV and a dome and a, you know, like just click it together like Legos. It was like, oh, okay. So there's, there's people caring for us. Like the fact that I didn't have to be like the lead drummer and there was, you know, somebody sort of like facilitating this to come along. And there was a lot of other people that were also just like ahead. It was like, oh, I don't have to be like the X in the room. I can just be a total beginner and just kind of like sort of, you know, have a lot of people ask questions and, you know, a lot of examples to pull from. And so it was kind of that opportunity cost of like, well, if I'm ever going to learn this, now is probably the most potent time Mm -hmm. to do so because Mm -hmm. there's all these other people sitting around that will like help you on like a daily basis. So I think, I mean, I think a lot of it does kind of come down to that opportunity cost of learning new technologies, like lower when you're doing it with other people. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of why the timing made sense. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, I think the other thing that I like about that too is is feel like I meet a lot of junior developers, like they got out of a boot camp or something, and it's like it's like almost they're they're like looking for permission or for like 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 someone has to like the like in their head it's almost like the way that software works is like someone has to like come along and tell them like you can create software for me or something like that or like you can work on this project. Um, and I feel like so many of these things in open source and like, you know, community things like that you're talking about, you know, for this Burning Man VR project, um, you know, there's just no permission. It's just like, yeah, come on, we're all, you know, we're all doing this, like join in. Um, and those things can be really valuable. Like I imagine you came out of that knowing a lot more, like I imagine you know a lot more about uh what what were you using like unity and, and yeah Blender. we used a lot of unity and then you know i also got to lean into some of the like particle simulations too so i was like oh now mm-hmm. i have like i got to see what particles look like in the unity framework and now i'm just mm-hmm. like oh can i can i borrow their interface and their gradient tool and you know like reuse some of those in you know, my own tool set mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean i think it's really daunting for uh somebody starting out like you you really need somebody or want somebody to kind of like at least draw you the map of like mm-hmm. how to kind of get from, you know, point A to point B and sort of, I think there's just, you know, you're making hundreds of decisions while you're coding up even something really simple. And so I think you can get really paralyzed by, you know, like what is the, what is the right scope to take to like bite off or, you know, mm-hmm. how do you constrain the problem enough to where you can make like an 
impact in a reasonable amount of time to where you kind of get like small wins throughout. That's super important. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think a number of people also have, have problem choosing the, uh, the appropriate scope. And so, I mean, is that a mentor or is that just like you find someone in the community? Like where, where do, where, where did you, did you get that anywhere? Oh man, I love it when I do. I wish. No, no. I mean, (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm constantly striving to like, kind of, you know, demote myself to the individual contributor and have, you know, like more people thinking about the big picture. But mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately I end up zooming out and kind of thinking about the uh, the problem at a whole. And I mean, I guess I, I, I index really heavily on just time boxing, like reasonable deliverables, even for a large project. Mm-hmm. Like, and I don't know, I guess I have a couple rules that I sort of follow when breaking down anything you know hardware software like even something uh, like physical where i take you know it's like what's the you know the the minimum amount of time or like that i really want to like commit to this and let's just say it's three months right and mm-hmm. i divide it up in thirds and like i say okay so i'm like i put a milestone arbitrarily at the one third mark and by that point i want to have like a lot of those decisions made around, you know, like scope and what technology choices and like something pretty well hashed out. And then by like the two thirds mark, I want to have like an absolutely working prototype. And it's just kind of like the technique I sort of use for any of these things. And then, and then I use that last third for like refinement and just like make it actually work kind of time. And so I guess, you know, if it's the VR project, I knew there was like, oh, we've got two weeks. So like, I'm going to spend you know, about less than a week just scaling up and training and learning all the tools and kind of going wide. So I see it as sort of this brainstorming and divergent phase, you know, where mm-hmm. you're just kind of like swallowing up the knowledge and you're just collecting, you know, as many features as you can imagine. And you're sort of doing a little proof of concept here. But then, you know, after about, you know, five or six days in, that's when you're just like, okay, now I'm going to decide what is this thing actually going to be based on, you know, everything I've learned. And then you're like, okay, now I'm going to basically take off, you know, bite off as much as I know I can choose and chew on in the next week. And you're like, okay, so I'm just going to like do these couple things because I know I can get a lot of win for not a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And then I'll basically say, okay, this is the thing that's really going to make it nice. I'm going to like put, try to put all my time onto that. And then you just leave plenty of time for like testing and refinement at the end, you know, like just deliver yeah. early and just keep, you know, like working on it while showing it to people. And so I think, you know, like I hope a kind of a junior can kind of get behind the idea that like, oh, it's going to be daunting getting that list of all the things that you could possibly do. And like, it's probably worth putting it down. But once you get to like 50 things, like it's time to start getting busy and start like <laughs> picking one. It's, you know, it's kind of you choose what you're not going to work on first. Yeah. I mean, that's so important is is reducing, reducing the scope and knowing what to say no to. It's also when I when I heard you go through that, by the way, I love that that framework. Um, like on one hand, it seems so simple. But on the other hand, I see so many people not go through that and always wind up in, in trouble. Um, it just it's almost like they like wind up lost because they don't they don't have a map or they don't realize like how how deep the forest goes or something like that. And then, you know, you wind up at a, a deadline or something approximating a deadline and, and you've got almost like nothing running or working. Um, 
just because it wasn't it wasn't mapped out that way. And it, I mean, and, it helps a yeah. ton for like collaboration too, because then like literally a week in, you can tell people, or a third of the way in, you can tell people like, oh, this is what I'm going to accomplish because you've got mm-hmm. your research behind. You know, you had your time to yeah. noodle, and then like you know, two thirds of the way in, you can hand the development prototype to somebody else to integrate. You know, and you're like, oh, here's the piece of hardware that I'm going to build. Give me a you know another month to finish it, but it's going to work exactly like this, you know? And so it's like, that's also kind of the interfaces that you start to be able to like, people can depend on you for at least something, you know? Mm -hmm. No, I completely agree. Like, and I, and I feel like I, I do this a lot in my projects too, is, is like, I will, I will really scope down and be like, okay, what do I absolutely know that I can deliver for sure? And then even, and then kind of like you said, deliver early because I feel like so many people underestimate how much time you can spend polishing and like finding weird edge edge cases and all sorts of like all of these other issues wind up taking so much time. And so if you just try and like deliver like right before the deadline, that's just never that's never good. Uh, And I think this is something that I learned, too, from a lot of these public installs that we would do you know it'd be like events or concerts or things like that uh so there would definitely be a day that couldn't be moved back or anything like that you were doing the install and once you do love a good deadline yeah <laughs> right and then once once your project is in front of real people who you don't know like you better believe like they're gonna find all kinds of ways to to break it um, and the longer, the longer you have with a, what you thought was a finished project before that deadline, the, the much like higher likelihood that you're going to find those things first and make it much more resilient in, you know, quote unquote production. Yeah. I feel like that's just a lesson we all have to learn the hard way over and over, <laughs> you think and so? over again. Nobody, yeah. nobody can just tell you that one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, it's, it's kind of, there's a, in the indie games community where you have teams of you know generally like two or three people trying to make a game maybe four or five people like bang out a working game in a weekend you know and it's like it's just like you'd imagine you know it's kind of a a scrappy kind of lock-in scenario and these game jams it's a ton of fun but the Mm -hmm. the running gag is always that like when you think you're at 90 percent, that's like (laughs) or when you when you think you've got 10 percent left you've got 90 percent left totally yeah thousand percent yeah so uh aim lower that's that's what i'm telling everyone <laughs> oh man there's some truth to that but i feel like that's uh, well, and that's i mean i really think this that. is actually something i see in junior developers a lot right they want to sh- they want to deliver like their first commit to be like bang on and beautiful and solve all the things and i find like as you're more experienced you're delivering smaller and smaller and smaller commits mm-hmm. you know and it's like really getting people used to kind of showing this, showing the scars and showing, you know, showing their work, you know, early and often, even among a small team, you know, it's like, it's so, such a great way to communicate what you're thinking mm-hmm. is to just show something broken, you know, or you know, show something half done and really like just. Yeah. It's so much, it's, it's almost so much more about the trajectory. Um, I think I've referred to this before. Like, I just want, I just want that steady beat. I want a, very steady drum of progress and they don't have to be big jumps but i just want it like continuous it's like every couple of days here's how the world is better than it was two days ago or like every week 
Like, here's what we could do that we couldn't do before. Here's what was here's what was fixed. This was broken last week. It's fixed today. And like, if you have weeks where that drum beat gets missed or multiple weeks, that's not what you want. Even if even if you think or or you do uh, make up for it, right? Like, okay, I'm toiling away in my cave, and then now I come out, you know, months later, and this thing is like glorious and perfect. Um, it's just, I mean, one, I feel like it rarely works out that way. And then, and then two, like, I just, yeah, I don't think that's, that's when you, when you get more experienced, I think that's just not how you, you want to do things. This has been great. Where can people find out more about you online? Yeah. My name's Matt Pinner. I'm M Pinner pretty much everywhere. I think my website is touchtech.io with a bunch of the more creative projects. Awesome. All right. That's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior.